0: sequence start. Space Nuts. 5, Space Nuts.
1: Astronauts
0: report it feels good. Hello once again and thank you for joining us on the podcast we like to call Space Nuts. That's because we're nutty as fruitcakes. Uh, I'm talking about me. My name's Andrew Dunkley, your host, and with me as always, Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. Hello, Fred. <laughs>
1: Hello, Andrew. Yes, uh, fruitcakes are a pretty good analogy, really. Um, You know, I sometimes get called a fruitcake and that means I'm nutty, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, it goes that way. Um, (laughs) I couldn't think of anything more clever this time of the day. Uh, But it could be any time of the day that people are listening. So we can't say good morning. We can't say good afternoon. We can't say good evening. So we just got to say good day. Yeah, we can do that. We yep. can definitely do that anytime. Yep. Now, today, Fred, uh, we're talking planets. Um, the thing about these planets in particular is that they are rotating at perfect musical intervals, which I find <laughs> astounding. It's got to be a coincidence, but uh, we'll find out more about that. And uh, your organisation, the AAO, has announced a river of stars, which sounds... Um, Rather fascinating. And we'll finish off today by looking at uh, plans to use a UK satellite to make movies in space. It had to happen one day. It had to. And uh, here it is. Uh, But first, um, Fred, let's look at these um, musical planets. This sounds rather intriguing.
1: It's an intriguing story on many levels, Andrew. Um, Not least uh, is the fact that this is a a citizen science story because the discovery has been made by... um, non-scientific people who are working at home and uh, participating in citizen science ventures. In particular, uh, this one is a project called Zooniverse. Uh, which is a major online platform for doing um, crowdsourced sourced research. Uh, so uh, what uh, the citizen scientists did was receive downloads of data from the Kepler spacecraft, which you and I have talked about many times. A mm-hmm. uh, spacecraft actually launched uh, back in, I think, 2009 or something, might even have been before that, to specifically to look for planets around other stars. And what it does is it stares at a patch of space or a patch of the sky, um, and records um, uh, basically continuously uh, the uh, the light of something like 100,000 stars. Uh, it's now on the second tranche of the mission, so that might be a different number, but something of that order, 100,000, mm. 100,000 stars. And and what it's looking for is dips in the brightness of those stars as their planets pass in front of them. And so far, something like, it's about two and a half or 3,000 newly discovered planetary systems have emerged from that project. So a fantastic project. But why do you want to involve citizen science? Well, the thing is that you can analyze these data with a computer, of course, um, but computers are not that good at picking out uh, regular dips. Sometimes the, the data are very, very noisy. Um, you know, So you've got dots all over the place, uh, and what you're looking for is a series of, of, of brightness measurements, which are slightly lower than the brightness measurements of the, of the star when it's unobscured by its intervening planet. Um, so the, uh, the, 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 the noise in the information is something that the computers are not that good at picking out uh, or, or getting through, but humans are. And so that's why something like 50,000 data sets have been made available on the Zooniverse project. And people are, you know, looking through them, looking for something that to the human eye looks like a a dip in the brightness of the star and then checking that with the project team. And indeed, that's exactly what's happened here. And the uh, uh, outcome um, is that this is a system with five planets in it, a solar system, uh, five planets, big Possibly bigger because there's a hint of a sixth as well in the data, but that has not yet been confirmed. It's unusual. Uh, it's much smaller than our solar system. Uh, the the furthest of those five planets orbits its parent star in about twelve days. Wow! And the others and the others are much quicker because they're further in. The, that the is a really
0: concentrated
1: to, block of, um, it, it is, of planets, yeah. isn't it? It is. I think this is a red dwarf star. It's not a sun-like star, because they'd all be fried yeah. if it was sun-like. Um, but they, nevertheless, these are these are genuine planets. They're actually rather bigger uh, than the Earth. They range in size between 1.6 and 3.3 3 diameters of the Earth. Um, but, as you said, the really striking feature of them is the relationship uh, between the the length of the orbits of these planets. And it's got it, as you said it's got links with musical theory mm. so what what's what's happening when you look at the, the the planets it turns out that there are what we call resonances in in the orbits and um we talk about resonances resonances as ratios and so the the resonance that's in this solar system is something we call a three to two ratio so what it means is that every one of those planets goes round it makes three circuits of its parent star in the time, the same time that it takes the next one out to make two. So one planet goes around three times. The next one out in the exactly the same time interval goes around twice. And the same is true progressively out from the parent star itself. It's what's called a resonance chain. So three They're and all two, in three and two, three and two. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, and so it, it's actually not a coincidence. This is something that you kind of expect to happen um, because it's uh, just about the gravitational interplay between these, these planets. Um, we see examples actually in the solar system. Um, Neptune and Pluto are in resonance. I can't remember the exact resonance. I think it might be two to three. Uh, but there's a similar sort of thing. And if you think about it, you can sort of understand how it's happening because... Well, that's, um, you,
0: that's the obvious question. I mean, is this just a coincidence or is it something that can be defined in in science or something like yeah,
1: that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's the latter. So uh-huh. um, it, what, what happens is that the gravitational interplay between, say, a pair of planets means that you, um, the, the gravity of one affects the, the, the movement of the other and that happens for both of them. And so... When you've got this three to two resonance, which is the sort of end product of these gravitational interactions, it means that um, every three circuits of one star, uh, the other star is going to be in the same position if you see what I mean. So yeah. every three circuits of an inner star, the outer star will be in the same position. Every two circuits of the outer star, the inner star will be in the same position. And that's the sort of the way the gravitational lock-in works. Um, and uh, I think this is the first time, though, that we've seen five planets, all of them, having this, this chain of resonances. And as I said, there's evidence for a sixth one, which would also be in, in rever- um in resonance
0: so that that would be guaranteed you judging by what's happening around this star if there is a sixth planet it would definitely be in resonance as well
1: well what they've done yes what they've sort of got um tentative evidence for a sixth star which has an orbit of 42 days now that's much more than the outermost one that we know already and what is being suggested is that that six star is also part of the resonance chain but there are two Two empty spots in between. There are two gaps in the chain. Oh, okay. One at twi- not one at 19 days and one at 27 days, and if so, there may well be planets in those spots as well. So it could go up to you know it could go up to eight planets this solar system that's fascinating. if we discover those too. Gee, that's yeah, amazing, amazing
0: stuff. Yeah, and, and I, I suppose it brings into play that uh, if they're if they're rotating like that and and it's and it's very regu- regular regular and, and quite precise. There'd be um, times when there's common planetary alignments. Would that be true?
1: Yes, that's right. Exactly. So um, um, you would get, you will get these alignments, and they may well be an instant when they all line up, because that's the way the resonances work. Quite fascinating. Because in our solar system, that's a <clears throat> rare event. Because it, it is, is, yeah. So um, distant. I think and, it's twenty thirty. I think, no, oh, twenty forty. I think is the next. Um, it's the next major alignment when all five naked-eye planets are, are in the same part of the sky. I think it's 2040. Just going back, though, to um, something we mentioned right at the beginning. What's the connection with music? Yeah. Um, and it's the fact that um, uh, musical notes are related in a similar way. And so the interval between do and so, do, so, no, do, wait a minute, do, re, mi, fa, so, there you go. Yep. Do and so, first the, the first two notes of twinkle, twinkle, little star are what's called a fifth. Twinkle, twinkle, it's do to so. Yep. And, and, and that is a musical interval called a fifth. And the frequencies of the, of the sounds are... In a three-to-two relationship, that's why it's uh, a musical, a musical phenomenon as well. Mm. So the, the resonance effect uh, extends to music. Forgive my singing, everybody. Uh, that's why we call space nuts because we attempt the impossible. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, and, um, and we do it very poorly. Yes, we do it very poorly. That's right. But but there's music in in the spheres as well as uh, as well as the the um, planetary discoveries.
0: Yeah, quite remarkable, and uh, yeah, who, and, and it just keeps uh, amazing me that we're finding all these um, unusual and amazing phenomena. You just got to wonder what else is out there, which is what your job's all about, Fred. Basically, it is.
1: It is. That's right.
0: <laughs>
1: all right, a you're job, listening it's a to dream job. Hey. It's a dream job. Of course it is,
0: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And if we can inspire others to follow in your footsteps, we're, we're doing our job too. This is Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with Fred Watson. Now, let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor. This is becoming an increasing problem, but ExpressVPN solves that problem for you. Uh, Now, if you go to our special URL, you'll see quite a list of things this service can help you with, things you may never have thought of before. As I say, it's the one I use, secure, fast, and it just works. Uh, So protect yourself online today and find out more about how to get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com/ space. That's dot com slash space for three months free with a one year package. Try expressvpn.com slash space to learn more and you'll find the link details in the show notes and on our website. Now back to the show. Three,
1: two, one.
0: Space nuts. Okay, Fred, now we're going to talk about your organisation, the AAO, the Australian Astronomical Observatory, because um, your um, facility, or whatever you want to call it, has uh, just released uh, data about um, a river of stars. I've heard of a river of dreams and I've heard of a a few other variations on the theme, but a river of stars sounds delightful.
1: Yeah, they are. Um, Technically, we call them stellar streams, which are streams of stars. So um, the idea is that uh, out there in space, there are stars which are kind of moving in concert with one another. They're moving... Uh, together, although sometimes they're spread out over quite large distances. We call them stellar streams. Um, They've been known, or the idea has been known, since uh, the middle of the 20th century. But we believe that um, what's called the halo of our galaxy, and this is a, a kind of spherical ball of stars, which sits around and envelops the the disk of our galaxy, you, you know, we usually think of our, da- our galaxy as, as having this disk of stars and gas and dust, uh, which has these beautiful spiral arms in it, um, something like 400 billion stars in the galaxy. But the, another component of the galaxy is what's called the halo. Uh, the halo is much fainter. Um, we see them in other galaxies, so that we, know they're exi- we know they exist. Mm. Uh, a halo of, um, I don't know, probably a few billion stars, maybe a few tens of billion stars, which uh, uh, form a sphere uh, almost, a big spherical blob of stars around the disk of the galaxy. Now we believe that halo um, actually grew and in fact the whole galaxy has probably grown by gobbling up other smaller galaxies and I've worked on projects which have been designed to look for the evidence of some of those uh, smaller galaxies, The, the sort of partially digested remains of them if i can put it that way (laughs) and we see these as streams of stars in the halo why are they streams because what happens is if you've got a a little galaxy that strays into the gravitational pull of our own galaxy, which is a big one, what happens is that this little galaxy is following an orbit around uh, at the centre of our Milky Way galaxy, but the gravitational pull spreads the stars out along that orbit, so the stars of this poor little galaxy that's being gobbled up, its it's stars are pulled both ahead of it and behind it, Uh, as it's dragged out into what really amounts to a line of stars streaming through space. Mm. And that's what we call the star streams. Why, Why are they important to look for? Because it tells us about the way our galaxy has been put together. So the um, going back a little bit, um, one of the projects I've worked on, something called RAVE, the Radial Velocity Experiment, which I think we talked about quite a lot in the, uh, um, you know, in the, in the period about a decade ago.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we one of the first discoveries that was made from that was a stream of stars in the constellation of Aquarius. So it was called the Stream of Aquarius. In well, fact, that's, um, that's rather apt. Aquarius being uh, yeah. the water carrier the water carrier yeah that's right it's very very you know very appropriate Mm -hmm. but um, other projects have also looked for these star streams and in particular now there's been a release of data from something called the dark energy survey now that's a survey being carried out, actually not with our telescope, but with a very similar one in Chile. It's called the Victor Blanco, Blanco telescope. It looks a lot like the Anglo-Australian telescope uh, in Cunabarabra, and roughly the same size, a four-metre diameter mirror. <clears throat> and they have a camera on that that is looking very, very deep into space. And it's actually looking principally at distant galaxies. And that's so that we can work out some of the important um, attributes of the universe as a whole, and in particular something called dark energy, which we think is a property of space itself. So that's what that project was designed to do. But incidentally, it also, as well as seeing galaxies, um, you know, at the limits of our detectability, way, way in the depths of the universe, it also sees nearby things too. And in fact, it sees the stars of our galactic halo. And so um, an atlas has now been produced of the stars in the halo of our galaxy these faint stars that basically um, they don't really interfere with the view of the distant galaxies beyond but they are there in in the foreground so uh, we've got a catalogue of these stars and it's that that has produced the evidence of i think 11 new streams of stars it's really quite a dramatic uh, improvement. 11 new stellar streams around our own Milky Way galaxy. The reason why this is an AAO press release from our own organization is that one of the key players in this, Kyla Kuhn, Dr. Kyla Kuhn is one of our staff members. He's a uh, an important component of the Dark Energy Survey. So these uh, these streams of stars have now been named and that 's where it gets doubly interesting, Andrew, because yeah. um, it 's not often that you can engage the public in naming celestial objects. There are very strict protocols about naming stars and things of that sort, um, all dictated by that August body known as the International Astronomical Union, the IAU mm. um, but um, Kyla and his colleagues have have actually gone out with public talks and things of that sort um, to ask for suggestions for. The names of these uh, of these stellar streams, and what they 've looked for is uh, the traditional names for things like rivers and streams uh, given by various um, indigenous peoples who are associated with the, the project and in particular. Um, uh, uh, indigenous names from chile where the telescope is and australia where we are Uh, so there's something like uh, i think something like six of them now have um south american names um uh, chilean names but two of them have got aboriginal names uh because of the australian connection yeah um and um I'm going to blow my own trumpet here and tell you that I actually suggested one of them uh, because it's a name that's very familiar to us at the Anglo-Australian Telescope. That is Wambelong, Mm. uh, W-A-M-B-E-L-O-N-G, and it means crazy water uh, in uh, Gamilaray, the the language of the indigenous people around the telescope. A couple of years ago, it was a crazy fire because... It it was a crazy fire. A huge fire that
0: uh, almost threatened to destroy your entire facility there. And it, was, it started in that particular creek, and that's why it was called the Wombalong Fire. And, that's um,
1: exactly right. It
0: destroyed yep. 90%, uh, <coughs> about 90% of the national park that um, surrounds you there. Uh, it, was, it was a horrific fire. Um, the only good thing that came out of it was that no people died as a result. Yeah. Of but lots of property losses, lots of stock and native animal losses. It was horrific. That's uh,
1: right. So it's
0: good that the name can be turned around for a positive thing.
1: Indeed, that's correct, and that was one one of the reasons that I had in mind uh, when I said, "Why don't you call it belong And that then went to a public vote, which um, uh, which uh, and the people liked it. Um, just uh, as an aside, there regarding the fire, um, it's only a few days ago, Andrew, as we're speaking, uh, that we. Um, Commemorated rather than celebrated. Commemorated the fifth anniversary of that fire. It took place on the thirteenth of January, two thousand and thirteen. Five years ago. Gee, that's gone um, fast. Yeah. It's gone fast, hasn't it? And uh, of course, the, the the landscape still bears the scars of it. Uh, the, the observatory, as you correctly said, was under serious threat, but we came through that, thanks largely to the the water bombing efforts of the rural fire service. Mm. They, they saved um, my radio transmitters too. I was
0: working for a radio oh. station that had tr- transmitters uh, on the next mountain to yours, yes, and right. they yeah. were under threat. We, we thought we'd lose them, but they uh, they saved them as well. But uh, yeah.
1: yeah, so re- remarkable stuff. So it's great that... Um, that name of Wombalong is is actually being now preserved in the heavens uh, there is a stellar stream whose official name is Wombalong and the other aboriginal name actually comes from the Darug people uh, not very far from uh, where our headquarters are in Sydney uh, in the Lane Cove region it's actually the the name for the Lane Cove River uh, in that language it is Turinborough, and so that is the other Star uh, Star Stream that is now being discovered. The two with Aboriginal names. It's mm. a very nice story. It is and I'm, I'm delighted that um, that they've you know that they've uh, commemorated these things in the heavens in that
0: way. And we're naming the streams after streams, which I like as well. <laughs>
1: yes, that's right. <laughs> so know. the same's true with the Chilean names. There, uh, there's various meanings like quiet water and crossing rivers and sacred water. They're, their names too are uh, connected with water.
0: Yeah, well, one of theirs is jumping out at me because. Um, I'm thinking it's probably not quiet water if it's named Turbio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, Actually,
1: that's that's the Spanish name, uh, Turbio. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, pro- probably means it's uh, pretty pretty treacherous. Yes, indeed.
0: And and one final thought: uh, now that uh, all these star streams have de- been discovered, it it, it sounds n- like that that they are a fairly fairly common phenomenon.
1: That's correct. Um, we think that. Um, you know, the, the halo itself has been, the galactic halo has been put together by uh, basically all these gobbled up uh, s- uh, s- uh, mini galaxies which have formed stellar streams. And in fact, back in the early days of the Ray Project, the one I mentioned earlier that I was working on, uh, in about 2003, some of my colleagues uh, produced a simulation of the halo of our galaxy based on it having gobbled up 100 a uh, hundred mini galaxies so there are a hundred star streams in there and actually what you get is something that looks a lot like what we find and it's only now though that we've got the sensitivity and instruments to be able to unravel those individual star streams and see them um, kind of mapped out on the sky, which is, I think, very exciting. Indeed, it is. Uh, well done, Fred,
0: and to you and all your colleagues, and uh, and uh, the Chileans as well, for um, for finding these things. And I, I love the way you've uh, you've put the names together. It's fantastic. Uh, you're listening to Space Nuts as we stream into your place with Fred Watson and Andrew Dunkley. Zero G and I feel space. Space Nuts. Finally, Fred, uh, we're going to. Um, talk about making movies now i think you and i discussed or i might have mentioned uh, not so long ago that the day would come when we would make a motion picture in space rather than doing it with cgi or you know uh, flying people at very high speed vertically downwards to get the uh, zero g effect uh, we're now looking at um, making movies in space using a british satellite now i'm I'm thinking it'll be a fairly rudimentary start, but the day will come when actors are up there doing it too. But uh, what, yeah. what, what's going on here?
1: Yeah, this is um, an interesting story, and you're quite right. The, the the day will come when there are actors up there. Uh, it's almost the case now because a lot of these guys on the International Space Station, and girls, of course, too, um, are very uh, very at ease in front of a camera. And yeah. We've seen all kinds of tricks and things. But this is something a little bit different. This is a spacecraft which is going to be downward pointing Uh, and you might say well what's new about that we have you know downward pointing surveillance surveillance and and environmental spacecraft up there all the time looking at the surface of the earth and monitoring it Um, and the difference here is that this will not be successions of just still images which is what we have now and you've only to think of things like um, you know, um, Google Earth, where you're looking down on, on the surface of our planet. That's the kind of still image that we, we, we are familiar with. What these people are talking about, and it's, a, it's actually a British company who wants to do this, is to make, to make video uh, movies from orbit looking downwards. Uh, and, and it's actually full-color, high-definition video. And the difference is that if you do that you can see things happening in real time. For example, if you had a spacecraft, a satellite, overflying a city and you've got a real-time video coming back from that, then you're going to see all the uh, nuances of traffic movement within that city. You're going to see the cars moving. Mm. In fact, um, there is on the BBC website, there's a simulation of what the video footage from this spacecraft will look like, it's not there yet. So it's not. Um, it's actually the, the demonstrator has gone into orbit, but but that's all. All it's doing is demonstrating the technology. We haven't really seen any results from it yet, but there there are simulations, and you can see the value of it just by looking down. You can see the way the traffic's moving and things of that sort, and they're also suggesting that um, it would be very good for modelling traffic flow, not just on the roads but also at sea and maybe in the major ports of the world to model the flow of shipping uh, around and through these ports, that you could do that if you had examples of footage to show how things are moving um, from space. And so they are very hopeful that uh, they will be able to launch a, a constellation of small spacecraft they're only you know they're not quite the nano space the nano cubes that we've seen but they're a little bit bigger than that but um they're planning to uh, launch a a constellation of the spacecraft uh i think they're going to call it vivid eye as the um as the as the name of the constellation and it'll provide this high definition full color video uh, kind of wherever you want um they'll be at a, a height of about 500 kilometers it does mean um that you can uh you can uh, sort of steer these things almost if there are trouble spots if there are things going on in the world you know like natural disasters and things like that where it's going to be valuable to have real time video and this is 50 frames a second video so it's high That's high definition mm-hmm. yeah um then the you can sort of start to see the possible benefits of uh, of this uh of this technology i think it's still in its infancy but uh, vivid eye sounds like um, a very interesting topic to watch and maybe you and i'll talk about it when we start seeing the first video coming back from outer space yeah i hope so and
0: i i, I Suppose as the technology advances, and maybe they put more and more of these things in space, they uh, they'll find other uses for them. As you said, looking uh, at natural disaster zones, but maybe search and rescue if they can get better cameras. Uh, yeah, that's right. War zones, things like that. Um, yeah, I can see military uh, applications definitely.
1: Well, you know, they've probably got it already. <laughs> they probably have.
0: Now that you mention it, yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, I think making movies in space, or at least getting some footage. To use in movies from real-time cameras uh, orbiting the planet would uh yeah certain, certainly value add to the motion picture industry uh yeah. in, a, in a very spectacular way because they've been basically using either real images that are uh, stills or, or very basic stuff uh or cgi um yes, although one of the best examples of um of, of, footage I've ever seen was at the very beginning of the movie Contact now I know it was a CGI production but where they started by listening to radio signals on the earth and then they moved away from the earth out into deep space and uh, it was just a magical uh, sequence if you if you ever want to look it up it's really worth it Uh, And it starts the movie in a a very good way. But um, we're talking about using real footage and uh, and real pictures. (laughs) uh, In real time. That's uh, that's, that's the next big leap for for movie kind. Uh, All right, Fred, thank you so much. As always, very entertaining and interesting. And um, congratulations
1: again on your River of Stars. Thank you. No, and don't forget the musical notes. Do yeah. to so. Yes. Uh, planets yes. work that way too. You, you keep practicing, Fred. Oh well yeah. Don't well, give up your day job. Yes, I know.
0: <laughs> and we will catch you again very, very soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Andrew. Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And between he and I, we are the Space Nuts and you are too. So, you know, you know I think we'll get a badge. That'll be good. Uh, in the meantime, keep listening. Tell your friends. Um, share us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, send us your questions or your thoughts or your ideas or your links. We do love to hear from you and we look forward to catching you again on the next edition of Space Nuts.
1: Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast.
0: Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audio and Stitcher or your favorite podcast
1: distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from com.